0: Well, a number of years ago, uh, a man in the, in the church we were in, so I, it's not in this church, so none of you are included in this, it's okay. Um, he came up to me and he said, you know, Peter, this Christian life, it just doesn't work. And so I asked him, I said, well, I've got a question for you. Uh, have you been to the gates of heaven? Have you pleaded the blood of Jesus and they didn't let you in? Of course, to my surprise, he said he hadn't. Um, It wasn't really a surprise. Uh, He hadn't. And then I started to ask him, "Well, what are your expectations then? What was your expectation of being a Christian? And without going into all the details, he, he said that he came to faith on a promise because he was sick and his father was sick, he'd be healed. And because he hadn't been healed, this Christian lied just doesn't work. Expectations are important, aren't they? If we expect something of God that is not promised, we can find ourselves disillusioned and and correctly so. Also very disappointed. I said to him that, that time, I said, my simple expectation in the Christian life is found in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. And this morning I want to Draw from this verse some expectations that we can have for our lives as Christians. So let's read Romans 14 verse 17. 14 verse 17. Okay. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The title for the message this morning is Moving from Guilt to Gladness, or Moving from Guilt to Joy. The background of this statement that Paul makes here is confronting the Christians who were strong in their faith and then flaunting their freedom in front of others who were not as strong in their faith as they were. The strong christians felt free to eat and drink what was previously forbidden under the law of moses but paul was saying here that they shouldn't flaunt their freedom in front of weaker faith christians not to cause them to participate and go against their conscience he's saying neither group should do this and that in particular those with a stronger faith should not lead those with a weaker faith to violate their conscience. So in verse 17 he summarizes and says, the kingdom of heaven is not about external observances, religious rules, things that you've been taught under the law of Moses, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In this one verse, and we've only got time to do a little bit of work on it this morning. He summarizes and says, the kingdom of heaven is not about external observances, because we have been declared righteous. We've been declared righteous in God's eyes because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And we have experienced both peace and joy because God's Holy Spirit is with us. And it's in this area of Holy Spirit infused joy that I want to speak about This morning. The context of joy in the Bible is in the context of salvation, our salvation. The forgiveness of our sin, the reconciliation of man with God. And the basis of our joy is centered and founded upon the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. There may be many things that cause us to be happy or Perhaps not happy. But the joy that Paul speaks of in Romans 14 is the joy that is found in the assurance assurance of our salvation. Jerry Bridges writes this. The gospel is not only only the most important message in all of history. It is the only essential message of all history. Yet we allow thousands of professing Christians to live their entire lives without clearly understanding it. And experiencing the joy of living by it. The lack of joy so often in our lives reveals that we're not living in the good of our salvation. And not living in the good of God's forgiveness towards us. Our joy is not to be primarily found in the things that we experience. The things that we may do. Even even those spiritual things. Even those things that that we may do. For God. Our joy is not to be found In Luke 10, we read the 72 as the disciples returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, however, in all of that, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is the basis of our joy this morning. It's not the things that we do. Even we may do miraculous things. We may do mighty things for God, but our joy is not to be found there. If we if we chase experience for our joy, it is insatiable. We will never never be satisfied. It's not experience. Now we get experience, and that's great. That's wonderful when that happens. But our um, joy is to be centered in our salvation, the fact that our names are written in heaven. And there is no conflict with our desire for joy and our purpose to live for the glory of God. Sometimes people think, you're living for the glory of God, well, you know, that, that's almost counterproductive to joy. You know? Perception, I think, of a lot of people outside the church is that Christians are miserable. I trust that we are. I know we are. John Piper's expression, God is most glorified in us when we're most... Satisfied in Him, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to live for the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. Might well, I suggest this morning that we can change the words a little bit there, and instead of "and enjoy Him forever," to "by enjoying Him forever." When we enjoy God, we bring glory to Him. It's not—it's not one thing or the other. its, it's both. I was reading a book by a man, a number of years ago, called John Ensor, And I came across this phrase, and this is where I got my title from this morning. From guilt to gladness, or from guilt to joy. There are, I believe, many factors that trouble us and rob us of our joy and our peace and our gladness. But one of the most significant is One of the most significant things that trouble us, I believe, when we're affected by our conscience and live feeling guilty. Affected in our conscience, feeling guilty. We sung this morning before the throne of God, I love the line when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upwards I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. There's an enemy. There is somebody who is accused of the brethren who wants to come. Even though we're believers, even though our sins are forgiven, but we still sin. And he wants to put guilt on us. He wants to rob us of that joy. So what does the writer to this song say? Upwards, I look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Where do we see him? When we say, upward, I look and see him there, where where are we looking upwards? Just kind of up in the sky, in some sort of general vague way. It's to the cross. Upward, I look and see him there. I see Christ on the cross. And one of the most glorious cries in all of history is when Jesus from the cross cries out, it is finished. What is finished? His work of salvation. So, upwards. I look and see him there. Who made an end? Who made an end on the cross? He cried, it is finished. He made an end to all my sin. For the Christian, we're taught we read and we often express it, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There is no condemnation. But, how many of us at times, we feel guilty committed a sin, or maybe somebody's made us aware of a particular sin, we had not realised, we feel guilty. Well, that guilt can rob us so easily of our joy. And this morning I just want to share some thoughts on how we can move from that place of guilt to joy to gladness, and the joy of the Lord being a daily experience. Reading this in Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 18. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It's a wonderful invitation God gives to us. Anticipating perhaps the questions that we have concerning our sin, (laughs) our feelings of guilt, but we see his love. See his desire that though our sins are red like crimson, they should become like wool, they should be as white as snow. And living in that place, understanding that daily will help us in our desire to be joyful. So, how can we move from guilt to gladness or guilt to joy? Well, the first thing is owning up our sin, the transition from guilt to Badness becomes when we acknowledge the truth of our sin. This will mean owning up to our sin and confessing that sin to God in prayer. We see in in the life of Saul and David a contrast to how each of them dealt with their sin. In Saul's case, when Saul uh, disobeyed God, he even used sacrifices to try and excuse himself, to try and excuse himself to God. On the second occasion, the prophet Samuel says to him, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Whereas David, where most of us probably know the story, he was devastated when the prophet Nathan comes and tells him a story about a rich man and a poor man. We haven't got time to go into the story this morning. But when he tells that story, David in his anger rises up within him and says, that rich man, that rich man should die. Imagine David's reaction when Nathan turns around and said, You're the man. You're the man. You know, some of us might feel, Isn't that a bit sneaky? Isn't that a bit a trick, you know? Getting to read to a story rather than just going and t- telling him about his sin. Imagine his reaction. You're the man. But we see his reaction. We see his reaction in Psalm 51. Because of David's adultery with Bathsheba and then his murder of of her husband, Uriah the Hittite, he cries out to God in repentance. Study Psalm 51. I love Psalm 51. It is a help to me with me dealing with my sin. He cries out to God in repentance. He prays for mercy and forgiveness. He asks God to cleanse him and blot out his sins. He says this having committed adultery, deception, and murder, this I find an amazing statement. He says, I have sinned against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, when I first read that. I think, well, what about Bashir? What about Uriah the Hittite? What about you know the family members? The baby that dies. I mean the whole string of things are a result of this sin. And yeah. He said, I've sinned to you. And only you are You know, we, we do sin to one another. But we need to recognize that our sin ultimately is to God. It's not to one another. Yes, there's a place to put that right with one another, but ultimately all our sin is to God. We're just one sinner talking to other sinners. And as he prays to God for a cleansing work in his life, he prays this right at the end. He says, restore to me restore to me the joy of your salvation. For David it wasn't the the kingdom that he had and all the riches and all the wives and if that's a good thing, having lots of wives, all the things he might have at his disposal. Yes, he says, my joy, my joy is going to be found in your salvation. And only when we realize the extent of our sin, will we see our need for God's forgiveness. And then we can start to, to desire God in that moment desire for that joy to be restored. See, our actual tendency is to think that we're pretty good people. We're often not too proud to make, to, to admit that we've made a few mistakes, but on the whole, uh, we're okay. Particularly as Christians, uh, where hopefully, most of the time, we can live lives that are uh, I going not say better, I'm not sure that's the I right word. but let, let's say is word better than, than people perhaps outside of the church, some of the things that we see in the world. And we can think, we're, we're not too bad. We've made a few mistakes. On the whole, right. we're okay. Phrases like, I'm not perfect, or I'm only human, can lead us into excusing sin because of our humanity. We need to be careful, even when we own up to... And guilt, our sin, will shift attention to our woundedness and away from our waywardness. You know, we become focused on, I've been wounded. The sin, either, either because somebody has brought it to, to you, or you, you, because of your own awareness of your sins, something you've done, because shift the attention away, I've been wounded. From really what is the issue, our waywardness. David in Psalm 25 says... Yes. For the sake of your name, O oh Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. What a radical prayer. Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. We need to be aware of just how sinful we are. Yes, we've been forgiven of our sin, and we live the good about. that. We never really understand grace until we understand that sin. Paul addressed himself in Romans 7, a wretched man. John Newton, in Amazing Grace, uses the same phrase. And Isaac Watts refers to himself as a worm, using the same expression that God uses about Israel in Isaiah 41. using these terms, they're acknowledging that there is no moral goodness in themselves. And it is because of their sin that motivated Jesus to go to the cross. But Christ's death, I heard people talk about this, you know, I was the only person, you know, so valuable that Jesus would go to the cross, but Christ's death does not mean how valuable I am. But it's on the value that God places on Himself and His glory, and as a loving God who desires to display His love, so that we might be more impressed with His value, and not our own. Not because we are so valuable. His glory, the value that God places on himself and his glory. That's where we should look. Larry Crabb says this, in searching for God's forgiveness, we must not pin our hopes on on God finding us so valuable that he feels compelled to forgive us. We must pin our hopes on God wanting to show us the value of his love for guilty sinners. I wonder how much do I hate my sin? Do I rank my sin? Our Sproul says, in the slightest sin, I am saying I have the right over God's authority. We need to be careful not to justify our disobedience in any way. Again, Sproul says, all sin is cosmic treason. All sin is punishable by death. And he goes on to say this, never pray for justice. Never pray for justice for your sin. Pray for mercy and grace. That's why often we say, we're doing better than we, we deserve. Each of us here today, we're doing better than we deserve. Our sin should cause us to be dead. But because of his mercy, we have our sins forgiven and we can stand before the righteous God. Whatever Plummer says, he who looks upon sin merely as a fiction, or as a misfortune, or as a trifle, sees no necessity either for deep repentance or great atonement. He who sin, sees no sin in himself will feel no need of a saviour. He who is conscious of no evil at work in his heart will desire no change of nature. He who regards sin as a stride of bear will think a few tears or an outward reformation ample satisfaction. The truth is, no man ever thought himself a greater sinner before God than he really was nor was any man ever more distressed in his sin than he had just cause to be. Read that again, the truth is, no man ever thought himself a greater sinner before God than he really is. You know, just to, just to parents here this morning, when you're parenting your children, just tell them they're wrong. Tell them they need of a savior. Point them to Jesus and just say, that's wrong that simple and wherever possible you identify your sin within that very process so our first step this morning is owning our sin and secondly grasping the truth of the cross Colossians 2, 13, 15 says this when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulation that was against us stood stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. The shedding of blood throughout Scripture was required for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we drunk the wine this morning, we're celebrating Christ's blood being shed for us. Hebrews 9, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Problems sometimes some of us can have. Right? I have had this problem in my mind is knowing God's forgiveness. Knowing God forgives me, but accepting forgiveness for myself. Accepting, not forgiving myself, not, not feeling that I need to do something, something to pay back, or correct, or, or, or justify God's forgiveness. The issue, the issue will only be dealt with at the cross the place where we receive grace and find mercy. I was talking to Matt in the week and I was saying that for me, when we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself daily, preaching to the gospel to yourself daily means confession, repentance, Mm -hmm. and receiving God's grace and God's mercy. And the place of forgiveness and pardon the place where we're liber- liberated from the enemy pointing the finger is the shedding of the blood of Christ upon the cross. That's the place of forgiveness. That's the place that we need to focus on. I find in my own sin. I don't know if this helps anybody, but I I first of all go to the cross. I don't start with repentance. I go to the cross. I. Uh, Repentance means change, it's sorry, yes, but I go to the cross. And that's where I repent. And that's where I receive grace. And I receive grace to cleanse that guilty conscience, but also, also to to receive his forgiveness and no longer feel guilty. Just the way I do it. Paul says in Galatians that the life I now live in the flesh... I live by, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me. The tense of this verse is past tense. It's who loved me. And for Paul, that was, that was, that was the very essence of his, all of God, it, he, he, he referred back to God's love was, was revealed and shown at the cross. And Paul could not move beyond the cross as a source of his assurance and joy. He didn't need any further proof of the grace and love of God. I wonder this morning is that the case for you? I've had some people say to me, I need to see a demonstration of God's love for me in various ways, but you know, there's nothing more. Nothing more. If I go to glory with nothing more, he's done enough. He's done enough. I don't need anything else but staying at the cross. Staying at the cross. And I encourage you, we may read many books that can help us in a growth in Godliness, which is a good thing, which is a good thing to do. But we need to ensure that in our diet we study and reflect and we read about the cross. Whatever your Bible reading plan might be, Make sure you get to the cross. Make sure that's where we need to live. We need to live at the cross. David Pryor says, we never move on from the cross of Christ only into a more profound understanding of the cross. I think I understand the cross. But maybe I don't. You understand the cross. Maybe, maybe we don't. We, know. we need to focus. Focus at the cross. <laughs> By doing this, we'll bring joy and gratitude into our hearts. And when we stop remembering the cross, we would have a tendency to start depending on legalism and self-effort, trying to justify ourselves by the things we do, by, by self-effort trying to put things right, trying to be sensible to God. The gospel preached to ourselves would evoke confession, repentance, going to the cross to receive grace and mercy. John Salt says this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us leading us to faith and worship, we have to see it, something done by us, leading us to repentance. So let us live close to the cross. Let's study the cross, let's meditate on the cross. As, as yeah. Luther says, we all carry about in our pockets his very nails. Nice. The nails that was put in the hands and the feet of our Lord. carry that around reminding us not to be morbid, not to be morbid. Not to look at the cross in a morbid, but look at the cross as the place of victory, the place. The place where we gained our salvation. And that salvation should be the base of our joy. As Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Finally, in helping us move from guilt to gladness, we need to live, live daily under the influence of grace. I wonder how often do we doubt God's love for us? we doubt God's grace? That we go through life and things come up, things go in a direction of our lives that we didn't anticipate. We, God really loved me. Would this happen if he really loved me? Sinclair Ferguson says this, the reason we lack assurance of his grace is because we fail found to focus on that spot where he has revealed the cross. Romans 5, one tells us that therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This morning we stand whatever we feel. If we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour from sin we have been justified. And we can stand in the truth of our justification today through faith. And as we do that and as we keep pressing into that we press into the cross and remind ourselves of God's grace it will bring us joy and it will bring us peace. And it's all by grace. Every day, every day of our lives, in every situation, we need to relate to God on the basis of His grace alone. Not His grace plus performance. We don't come to God, or we pray, or we're here this morning in any way. Say, I know it's grace, Pete, but it's also what I've done. No, it's not. It's never our performance, never our performance. Wherever we are on the road to sanctification, we can never relate to God by our performance. Our performance will never make us good enough to be acceptable to God, never. It is only through the blood of Jesus, that Hebrews 10 says, that cleanses us from a guilty conscience and gives us the boldness to draw near to the throne of grace. Every day, encourage us every day of our lives. Need to live on the basis of relating to God by grace alone. When you find yourself in problem and sin, areas where besetting sin, things that keep coming back, what do you do? Do you, do you pray, Lord, remove this sin? Please don't pray that prayer. You're transferring your your responsibilities to God. That's not right. But you can say, Lord, would you give me grace? Would you give me grace so that I can put this sin to death? So yes, God will work us. But it's not his ultimate responsibility in that sense. Jerry Bridges said, you're never so bad as to be beyond the reach of God's grace. And you're never so good as to be beyond the need of God's grace. You're never so bad as to be beyond the reach of God's grace. And you're never so good as to be beyond the need of God's grace. Good day, bad day. Some of you probably read the book, Discipline of Grace, n number of times over chapter one, chapter three. Good day, bad day. Um, You you will be blessed by that book, it's a great book. Jerry Bridges says this, just gonna finish up with a couple of quotes here. I'm finishing with a couple of quotes because to be honest with you, I couldn't say anywhere near as good as this. (laughs) J. Bridges says there are two courts we must deal with the court of God in heaven and the court of conscience in our souls. When we trust in Christ for salvation, God's court is forever satisfied. Wonderful. When we trust for salvation, God's court is forever satisfied. Never again will the charge of guilt be brought against us in heaven. Never again. So about that. Never again. Not right in heaven. Our consciences, however, are continually pronouncing us guilty. That is the function of the conscience. Therefore we must, by faith, bring the verdict of conscience into line with the verdict of heaven. We do this by agreeing with our conscience about our guilt, but then reminding it that our guilt has already been borne by Christ. We must, by faith, bring the verdict of our conscience into, into line with the verdict of heaven. And how we do this? We do this by agreeing with our conscience about our guilt, but then reminding it that our guilt has already been born by Christ. What a glorious salvation we have. We're not only saved by grace, but we also live by grace, constantly bringing the Jerry British says the verdict of our conscience into line with the verdict of heaven. Owning our sin, staying at the cross, living daily, the grace of God will help deal with our guilty conscience. And as we deal with that guilty conscience, we will move from guilt to gladness. John Ensign writes this, finally, final quote. When our sins are forgiven and our consciences are cleansed, we are freed up to enjoy God Himself and all that he has for us, as the vessels of his mercy. Forgiveness, then, is the foundation of God's work of grace, not the capstone. It's an entry point, not an arrival point, for God's work of grace. We are forgiven, in order that we might learn to live and enjoy living, an upright and holy life, in all fear and reverence to God. Learning to live under the continued influence of God's grace, is another step for guilt to pass. And maybe some, maybe all of us right now, have so been talking about guilt of being aware, of reminded, probably didn't need much reminding of guilt. Guilt of sins committed. Sometimes they're the more outward external sins, sometimes they're the sins of the heart. J. Bridges calls the respectable sins pride, selfishness, idolatry. But other sins as well anger, unkindness. If that's you, the morning, just in these few moments, let's just take a, a minute or so just to pray to the Lord. Focus on His grace, His mercy. Refresh ourselves in the cross. Own our sin. Just do that now. Pray, ask the Lord for forgiveness when guilt has robbed you of your joy. Father, your word says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Lord, we pray. We pray this morning that we will live daily at the cross, daily receiving your grace, Lady turning to you, owning our sin. We have already been declared forgiven. We've been declared righteous. In the courts of heaven, you don't declare us guilty. So, Father, would you help us in these and maybe other ways to stay. In that place where guilt will not rob us of our joy. But the joy of the Lord will be very much our salvation. So Father, would you give us all grace today? Much grace. We're thankful for your grace. Your grace is more than just amazing. It's scandalous. It's scandalous. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace towards us. An amazing goal.